I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Marcel here. Before today's episode, I want to tell you about a new show that we are loving at Witch Please Productions, the Culture Study Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. If you don't already know it, I'm convinced that you're about to fall in love with a new podcast. And this is coming from me, Marcel, someone who famously doesn't really listen to podcasts. Culture Study is a podcast about exploring the nooks and crannies of the culture that surrounds us. Each week, Anne and a super smart co-host will answer listeners' questions about the stuff they find interesting and perplexing, like, why do clothes suck now? And... Is Paw Patrol copaganda, or is it not that deep? And, like, what's the deal with everyone I know getting a divorce? Just like Anne's tremendously popular newsletter of the same name, Culture Study Podcast is funny, insightful, and kind of weird. And it's guaranteed to help you become the most interesting person at parties. Listen to the Culture Study Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your shows. Who knows? Maybe you'll recognize some guests in the coming months. Have you listened to Rainbow from start to finish on repeat yet? No. Oh, my God. No. Oh, my God. No, I'm sorry. I texted, like, eight people yesterday just to be like, are you listening to Rainbow? You should listen to Rainbow. Just listen to the whole album. Start at the beginning and end at the end and then repeat. Just listen to the whole thing. And I got belligerent a few times with people yeah. who were like, yeah, maybe later. And I... Yeah. It's like, you don't understand. I'm crying right now. I'm crying. <laughs> I started, so I finished. I've been um, <clears throat> catching up on game the season of Game of Thrones with mm. my friends Marshall and Jamie. And mm-hmm. so I was over at their place and we watched like episodes four, five, and six to catch Whoa. up. And I was feeling four real. is so stressful. They're all very stressful. Are you caught up? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I took the <laughs> real hard. Um, yeah, I took that real hard. And yeah. uh, so I was like leaving their place and walking home. And I was like, I had downloaded um, Rainbow on Spotify so I could listen to it. And I started to listen to it. And I was like, it's too much. I'm too sad. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't like that first song. I've got too many people. Got left to prove wrong. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. So today I'll listen to it today. I promise. On repeat. On repeat. <laughs> on on repeat. repeat. All day. All day. <laughs> the, uh, the last song on the album is called Spaceship. And it's this like really sweet kind of banjo picking melody ballad sort of thing. I'm not good at talking about music because I don't know what the words are to describe it, but it just like, it like gets right of my heart. And then at the very end of that song, there's this spoken word part where the music's sort of still there, but she's like, she's like talking about how she's just made of recycled stardust. And I was like, 
started crying. <laughs> because <laughs> it's true, we're all just recycled stardust. <laughs> Anyway, I promise I will listen to it. Okay, we can do our podcast. Great. <laughs> oh, we should also talk about Griffin McElroy and how good he is with kitties. Oh my goodness! Oh, there's this episode where he just talks about giving his kiss, giving this. I can't even remember what the episode is. He's like, "Can we pause it? I need to go find my kitty and give him a kiss right on the head." <laughs> One episode where he refers to his cat as his little naked gentleman. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Witch Please, a fortnightly-ish podcast about the Harry Potter world. I'm Hannah McGregor. And I'm Marcel Cosman. Great job. Great job. Are we done? <laughs> I think so. Today we are bringing you uh, another one of our, what do we want to call them, like field episodes, Ooh. where one of us went out into the field. Into the field. To talk to some real life interesting Harry Potter fans about some real life interesting Harry Potter things. And then we have come back together here to uh, have a little conversation about it and introduce it. And then we'll turn you over to uh, the uh, recorded interview. Marcella, do you want to tell us who we're going to hear from today? Yes, uh, I had the pleasure of speaking with uh, two people who work for the Windspear Center in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, Constantine. I'm so sorry, Constantine, that I can't remember how to pronounce your last name properly. I think it's Curalius, Constantine Curalius, and Amanda Brace. Remind me of what the roles of Constantine and Amanda are in relation to the ESO. So Amanda works in patron mm-hmm. development whereas Constantine uh, works in marketing. The interview was actually scheduled just for me and Constantine, but uh, he knew that Amanda is a super fan of Harry Potter and so asked her if she wanted to join us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a really fun like trifecta of mm-hmm. fanship in the room yeah. as we were as we were chatting and like our various like I think that if you were to put us on like a gradient, of fandom it would probably mm-hmm. be like mm-hmm. amanda super fan me fan who now does this this podcast and so is like mm-hmm. somewhat in the know and then constantine who is just like someone who like loves harry potter like a normal like a normal human being <laughs> <laughs> like a normal and so it was it was really fun to like talk about our different experiences with harry mm-hmm. potter and growing up with it and like what it means to us and what it means to us as adults and that yeah yeah that's great i really like i really like that they 
identified as fans as well rather than mm-hmm. just being like the people who put this event together yeah i wonder i i wonder what it would be like to work in an area of the arts where you would be like organizing and coordinating and putting on events for things that you just had zero feelings about like not mm-hmm. that you hated but just like had zero feelings mm-hmm. i don't know yeah. yeah like if i had to put on an event about like the television show supernatural for example yeah. be like i understand that this is a thing that people like mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And no, you know, I cast no aspersions upon that, but mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Yeah. So that's, it's a really interesting position to be in, right? To be sort of using your one fandom to try to sort of draw people into another one. Mm-hmm. To be like, you know, here's this group of people who don't necessarily listen to classical music or wouldn't necessarily come to the ES, to an ESO performance, but they are Harry Potter fans mm-hmm. and like we're going to use Harry Potter to draw people in to also show them sort of this other thing mm-hmm. that we think is really great and worthwhile, which is like live orchestras. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this really amazing thing happened. I feel like I knew it was going to happen. I like this assumption that I had that as soon as the music started, there mm-hmm. was going to be this like hush mm-hmm. over the, this like sense of collective awe. Yeah. And that is 100% what happened. And I started to cry. <gasps> that like, that like initial like, do, 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 like the Hedwig theme just started and like chills went through my whole body. The entire room was silent there. And then all of a sudden, like just this collective gasp of like magic is real. And then mm-hmm. I just wept like a baby, oh, cried like a is baby. Yeah. Music is magic. Music is magic. Music is yeah. absolutely magic. And yeah. like, I, like I, I, knew, I knew that music was important to movies. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I know that like music is, can be very like, and I mean this in, in a good way. Music is very manipulative. It like, mm-hmm. it like manipulates how you feel about the thing mm-hmm. that you're looking at. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to live in the Shire. Is That's that, all I want. Is it so much so to much. ask? <laughs> Yeah, and there's something really um, profound about being in a room completely separate from the movie that you have come to love deep in your heart and hearing a professional musician make that sound that causes your heart to bleed. Mm. (laughs) It's incredible. Yeah. Music yeah. is magic. Music is magic. And there is this really like, you know, we were talking a couple of episodes about the sort of immersive experiences. And there is this like live music is one of the ultimate immersive experiences because mm-hmm. like live theater, right? It's mm-hmm. there. You're happening. It's unique. It's all about sharing the space with other people. But like there's this sense that because I have the same emotional reaction to the Harry Potter score like that. Do, 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 do. Like I hear that mm-hmm. and I get all chilly mm-hmm. um, as in I get chills as in I get cold. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, beans and corn and tomatoes. With some spices. <laughs> yeah, I know that one. That one. I become chilly. Uh, 
And so I can imagine there being something about sort of the combination of the emotional resonance of that music, plus the sort of excitement of a shared immersive live experience that would, um, uh, that would be really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was the what was the prompting event to actually go and talk to them? Because uh, Marcel, what could classical music possibly have to do with Harry Potter? <laughs> well, Hannah, I'm glad you asked. We so the the Witch Please the Witch Please email account got this delightful email uh, inviting us to attend um, the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra's. Uh, performance of the music of Harry Potter. Um, so sometimes uh, symphony orchestras do this thing to uh, to generate income where they do kind of like a sort of pop culture-y kind of music thing. There's like the music of Star Wars, there's uh, the music of Bugs Bunny, that kind of thing. So they'll do this thing where they, they play classical music um, that is predominantly from scores of some sort of like movie or movie series or television show or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they'll also do like, you know, the music of David Bowie or the music of Prince, the music of Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson. Um, Yeah. Famous men. (laughs) 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 Oh God. Mm. ABBA. Mm. (laughs) Music of ABBA. Um, Anywho, uh, so yeah, so they invited us to attend a performance of uh, the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra doing the music of Harry Potter. Um, And as you may know, dear listeners, uh, Hannah lives in Vancouver now, so she could not go. And so instead, I took my uh, soul brother, Stephen Shear, who is very tall and is also a master of music. Um, And so we went together to listen to the one of, if not the finest symphony orchestras on this continent um, perform this magical music. Uh, And I had the pleasure of interviewing Constantine and Amanda um, a few days leading up to the event, um, just to talk to them about, you know, what it means to play, what it means to have these kinds of shows and, um, you know, stuff. Yeah, (laughs) and stuff. Um, Are you a classical music fan? Would you normally go and see a a symphony orchestra? Uh, No, no, I don't think so. Um, I have gone with Steve, actually, to see... um, There's a classical pianist uh, named Christopher O'Reilly who plays the music of Radiohead um, on Mm. piano. And he. I went to see that. I went to see him perform with Steve. And that was lovely and prompted me to buy both of his Radiohead albums. Um, they're, they're incredible. This is just me. This is just yeah. going to be a series of me, like plugging musicians <laughs> who I really like today. Uh, but uh, if you are a person who needs um, instrumental music to uh, read or work or study to or whatever, <clears throat> let me enthusiastically recommend Christopher O'Reilly mm-hmm. and his two albums that are just <laughs> piano covers of Radiohead songs. He's incredible. Um, Yeah, I mean, Steve definitely, like... 
I you know, I, I can't say which came first, his masters of musicology or his fondness for classical music, but he definitely like has that kind of appreciation for classical music that I think often comes with understanding music better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember like there was a day when when the U of A's like chamber something chamber group was doing a campus performance and he was like, guys, it's going to be great. You should all come. And we were like, eh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think we sort of ge- share a sort of general sense of like, I don't have animosity towards classical music, but usually the idea of sitting down and just listening to it. Mm-hmm. Like I like opera and ballet a lot. Because mm-hmm. there is music, but then also a thing to look at. I get yeah. a little sleepy when I'm like at an event and there's nothing to look at. Like I have fallen asleep during author readings before. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's just like I need you to move around. Yeah. Or me to move around. One or the other. I love music scores for film and television. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a real sucker for a good score, mm-hmm. but I, I wouldn't normally go out of my way to go see a performance unless it was something that I knew and already liked. Like if somebody was doing like Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata on repeat for 45 minutes, I might go to see that. Because <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Moonlight Sonata. Who isn't? <laughs> that sounds real boring. <laughs> it's lovely. Okay, just an aside, the first guy mm-hmm. I ever dated, we once spent like two hours making out to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Um, so now whenever I hear that score, I feel real awkward because it was a really awkward making out. It wasn't good. It was awkward. Anyway. Um, <laughs> you're welcome, listeners. about this a little while ago and you were saying that um you were surprised by your ability to recognize and recollect the music that was playing yeah this neat thing happened when steve and i were talking about the performance afterwards where he would ask me i would say something like you know like the Wiz- the weasley wizard wheezes theme that was incredible and he was like how does it go and i was like i have no idea <laughs> but i, I know remember. i knew it to hear it <laughs> I knew it to yeah. hear it. Um, yeah. And uh, the thing that was really, the thing that is really hysterical about that mm-hmm. and about the fact that watching the performance, um, I was able to, to identify where so many of these, of these themes come from, um, is from playing the Lego Harry, the Lego Harry Potter <laughs> <laughs> video game. <laughs> uh, that's a truly transmedia experience. <laughs> 
<laughs> because they use the they use the music from the films mm-hmm. um, because it's a Warner Brothers licensed thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and so <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is the level. You're like listening to it, and you're like, I have to stack the Legos so that I can reach the thing in the sky. <laughs> I haven't found the student in peril on that level yet. Yeah. Yeah, you haven't. Dun, da, da, da. Okay, I have a question. I have okay. a question about the event. Okay. How do you have a sense of how many people were there out of love of Harry Potter versus regular symphony orchestra goers? Like was this a fan event? Yeah. That's a that's a great question. It's such a great question that I actually asked that question mm. of Constantine and Amanda in our in our interview. Oh. Well, tell me your impression of the crowd. Like were people in costume? Uh oh yeah, people people were dressed up. There were a lot of children, like a lot a lot of children. Mm-hmm. Um my impression was that of the attendees that like and I believe it was close to sold out i think maybe that there were a handful of comp tickets that weren't used but Mm -hmm. my understanding is that the event itself was sold out but there were like maybe like a smattering of empty seats Mm -hmm. um i am guessing that 99.9 percent of the people there were fans oh wow yeah and like when we for oh we your your uh former chorus colleague and friend carla was there with her sister um and that was really cool um we uh we got we got drinks with them in line. It was the kind of event where you could take your drinks into the theater, which is my favorite kind of event. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to what? chug your wine like an asshole in the hallway before you enter. You so can drink rude. it slowly like a civilized adult out of a plastic beer cup, which is what you have to do <laughs> when you are like me and you get two wines. Mhm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. People people were in costume. Uh, kids were dressed up, even if they weren't dressed up in Hogwarts robes. And a number of people were wearing their like house colors or some mm. kind of like their house house affiliated paraphernalia. But like, um, I a lot of little kids were wearing just like fancy outfits because they were going to the symphony, and you you dress up you dress up fancy to go to the symphony. But because it was a fan thing, and it was and it was like dress however you want. Um, there were also lots of people wearing very casual clothes too, mm-hmm. you know, like jeans and sneakers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very it it felt very democratizing as far mm-hmm. as like going to the symphony. Uh, might be were there other aspects to the performance to try to sort of make it interesting for the kids that were there like were there yeah like like were they were they catering to that audience a little bit yeah the conductor would read uh movie facts like stuff that you know you you pull from wikipedia but Mm -hmm. um like did you know that originally warner brothers wanted the film to be animated like that kind of what no i didn't you didn't know that i didn't know that yeah so they so they did that they read like they read like little facts and stuff it was interesting to me Mm -hmm. that the conductor is friends with patrick doyle 
who scored the fourth movie, the fourth mm-hmm. and we can all agree worst movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the takeaway for me from hearing Patrick Doyle's music separated out from um, the other composers mm-hmm. is how like bland it was. It like just just like that movie was a very bland movie. This the music for that movie also felt very bland. Listen, and it, I am getting a chill from all of this shade. <laughs> <laughs> it just it raises the question is a bland movie bland because of the music or is a composer composing music for a bland movie cornered by the blandness of the movie and mm. you know like is there all is there only so much you yeah. can do i'm trying to think of if there are movies that are that have really great scores that are boring movies um like did the hobbit trilogy have a good score Mm. that's a good question because what i remember about the hobbit trilogy is that it felt like they were trying too hard Mm. with the music Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um by like like i just will never forget this this one moment where like these two characters are having a conversation and every time it switches back and forth between the characters, it switches back to their themes. So it's like, <laughs> it's like whatever, like a hobbit is, a hobbit is talking and it's like, do, 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 do. And then it switches like back to like some hero character. And it's like, do, 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 And it was like, Oh my God, score. I need you to get it together. Like, I need you, I need you to like, just calm down a touch. Um, and I feel like sometimes, like, in reaction to a bad movie, like, I don't know how much there is that, like, I think a good soundtrack can do a lot, but, like, mm-hmm. a score is responding in different ways. I don't know. I do not know enough about composing scores to comment at all on the subject, but... Same. Um, I know. I yeah. go to one symphony orchestra performance and I'm a fucking expert over here. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're ready to you're ready to disagree with the conductor of the ESO about his opinion about other conductors. <laughs> ready to be like, mm, he says this person is really good, but I'm pretty sure he's wrong. <laughs> Patrick Doyle. That name doesn't sound remotely exotic. More like Patrick Dull, am I right, ladies? Whoa! <laughs> that was really good. Thanks. Good job. Thanks. All right, you ready to uh, to turn it over to the original audio? Yeah, real excited, real excited to hear some Steve content on this episode. <laughs> So why don't we, okay, so we'll get started officially since we're already sort of having a good time (laughs) a little bit. What I would like the two of you to do is to please introduce yourselves and uh, tell me what your role here at the Windspear Center is. 
Um, my name is Amanda Brace. I am a guest experience advisor here at the Winspear Centre. Um, so basically I have a portfolio of patrons and I am their point of contact. So anytime they need tickets, have any questions, concerns, they can give me a call. And my name is Constantine Corellius. I support the communications and marketing team here. Um, and we deal with a whole bunch of um, fun things like marketing shows like Harry Potter and finding out what other shows we should put together for fans and um, people that want to attend the ESO and Winspear. Thank you both for meeting with me today. This is a very exciting opportunity. Thank you for having me. And thank you especially for the comp tickets for the event that I'm going to go to tomorrow night. That is very exciting. <laughs> we're we're uh, we're Don't only sold out. Pay off my student loans. Exactly. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> no, it's it's worth it to me to go. I'll keep paying those student loans. That's fine. The Winspear Center is home to the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. Could you tell me a little bit about the ESO and the Winspear? Well, the Winspear Center is turning twenty in September. So we are going to be celebrating um, a birthday coming up. Uh, So we're really excited about that. So the Winspear Center opened in 1997. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Francis Winspear at the time, um, am I remembering? It was the highest donation. So he donated $6 million, which was the largest single private donation to a performing arts facility in Canadian history. Um, So that's uh, the Winspear Center. We get... like a variety of shows here. We not only have, you know, our Edmonton Symphony Orchestra that performs here, we have um, people like Jan Arden, Dimitri Martin is coming. Yeah, we have a variety of people that enter our space. The Rolling Stones have rehearsed downstairs in a studio that we have. Um, what am I forgetting, Amanda, about the Winspear Center? What, who else have we had walk through these doors? I like that we have, you know, classical music. We also have um, bands like Daughter I saw recently. Um, We also have comedians that come through. Um, Bodybuilding as well. People are surprised about that. We have that. So, yeah, McEwen convocations are happening this week. Uh, Shout out to Amrit. She's graduating today. We are the most acoustically perfect um, concert hall in North America. So people do, this is on their bucket list of places to uh, perform in and play. The acoustics are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. From my minimal personal experience, I would say that that is true. The thing that I love about the Winspear as well is any spot that you're in, which Mm -hmm. isn't always the case with other spaces, Mm -hmm. you're you're fine. You're like, oh, you feel like you're front row. That's what I do love about it. No bad seat in the house. Cheap seats are great seats. So here's a question that I have about the symphony. When I was growing up, I always thought of the symphony as being for, like, rich, stuffy grown-ups. And then even as a young adult, in my mind, there was a kind of class difference between the type of people who went to the symphony and the type of people who, say, listened to pop music or who watched fantastical movies like Harry Potter. Um, So would you say that uh, that kind of idea is a misperception or has there been a sort of shift in the last in the last maybe two decades in the kinds of music that symphony orchestras perform? So I've been here about two years and um, I have to say that ever since I started working here there's something for everyone. 
So you have the masters that has the more classical, classical music. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, even pop shows. So before I worked here, my first uh, experience with the ESO, I saw Bond and Beyond, which was a pop show, and I'm a huge Bond fan. Mm -hmm. So it was so exciting, and uh, the audience gets so into it. Um, and we have, I mean, we have ABBA coming up next year, an ABBA concert, and uh, Star Wars was amazing in December. Mm -hmm. So it's really a mixture of everything, and even at the very classical concerts, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's not stuffy. We know how to have yeah. fun. <laughs> and it's, it's a range of uh, people of different ages, and I think there's something for everyone. We understand that that is, I think, how everyone kind of feels about classical music, and we do get that question sometimes if people need to dress up. Um, and we're, I'm just noticing, we're all relatively young, so in my mind, I'm, I've thought about it myself. I'm like, did it switch over because the Internet sort of made classical music more accessible so people are more interested in it maybe? Because I, I think if you would have asked me about 10 or 15 years ago, I would have said, yeah, I think a lot of people that go to classical you know, type shows are older demographic and it's it's a, a highbrow event kind of thing but we we don't operate that way here we want everyone and anyone but we don't even need to sort of push that um, dialogue out the people that we're we're getting to experience these shows are wide-ranging as far as ages and and uh, dress codes like people are dressing up for Harry Potter they're even you know dressing up sometimes for you know our master shows you know um, which we love so I, I don't know if it's you know my earliest um, sort of memory of classical uh, music is from watching you know like Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes that's that's where I got into it should I wear one of my witch's robes for the event 100% yeah, of course you should. <laughs> I will be I'll be wearing my muggle shirt I actually don't have any witches' robes. It's a real shame. But I do have a shirt with Hedwig printed on it that my wonderful co-host acquired for me. So maybe I'll wear that. Dress up. We, yeah, we're, we're big on dressing up as well. And I'll have to find some sort of colors I found out, which we'll, I'll let everyone know about my, uh, my house is yeah. Slytherin. <gasps> <laughs> the love of my life is also a Slytherin. Oh, so there I, you go. It's so okay. you understand. It's fine. I love, like... I've done two quizzes now, and they're yeah. both Slytherin, so, yeah. yeah. Amanda, what is your house? I have to say, and, you know, I'm going to pull out my phone case, mm -hmm. which shows my house on the back. I'm a Ravenclaw. I'm very proud of being a Ravenclaw. I like to learn. Not a proud. Yeah, exactly. I like to, to learn. I like to stay out of trouble. And just, yeah, I just very much relate to Ravenclaw, and I'm very happy to be a Ravenclaw, where other yeah. people want to be Gryffindor, and I'm like, no, Ravenclaw is great. Yeah. Can you guess the house at all? Oh. Yeah, what is my house? We've only just met. Just I met. Are you a Gryffindor? I'm not. I'm not. That's what I would have guessed. Hufflepuff? No, I'm a Ravenclaw. <gasps> no, I was going to yeah. say Ravenclaw, but then I was like, biased, because <laughs> I'm a Ravenclaw, and they're amazing. Yeah. Are you also happy to be a Ravenclaw? I am very happy to be a Ravenclaw, yeah. It's so much, right? And yeah. I'm like, when you look through the books, they're never starting shenanigans. They're just helpful, learning. It's great. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, yeah, and I, it's very hard to find Ravenclaw stuff. It's easy to find Gryffindor mm -hmm. and Slytherin and now Hufflepuff because there's the like, Hufflepuffs are great, remember right. us, but it's hard to find. Ravenclaw. Well, I find harder to find Ravenclaw stuff. Yeah, Dawn, Dawn of the Age of Hufflepuff. <laughs> yes, the the PSA with uh, Eddie Redmayne he did for Fantastic Beasts was hilarious, yeah. and they're great. They are. 
I love that it's like astrology when this is sort of new to me about, you know, choose, uh, finding out what your house is rather than choosing. But it, yeah. it reminds me of, you know, when people find out they're an Aries and they're like, oh, I'm such an Aries. Yeah. And that's <laughs> what I'm realizing is happening right now with you, too. But it did happen with me as well when I found out that I was Slytherin. I'm like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. 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 I like to cause trouble. <laughs> This is one of the official questions. I'm just going to read it, even though we all know why we're here. The ESO is currently performing the music of Harry Potter. I will read the event description. You've both heard it, but our listeners would not have. Join your Edmonton Symphony Orchestra on a journey to the wizarding world of Harry Potter, featuring magical music from all eight movies by John Williams, Patrick Doyle, Nicholas Hooper, and Alexandra Dessault. Is it Dessault? Dessault? What do you think? Displa? Oh, did I spell it wrong? Ooh. Enjoy two nights of this concert, which is not to be missed by any witch, wizard, or muggle. Come in your finest dress robes and prepare to be spellbound as the music comes to life. What struck me about this description was how incredibly affectionate it was. Can either of you tell me who wrote it and if the person who wrote it was a big fan? Because it really sounds to me like a real fan description. I'm trying to remember who did write it. So I've written some of them, but that sounds like pieces of some items that I've written. It might have been Dave as well, Dave Baker, who writes our signature magazine and does um, uh, some of our announcements. Um, that, that could be his. I'm not sure. That's funny. It seems like pieces put together from stuff. I want to take credit because I'm Slytherin. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I wrote it. Great. It sounds like something amazing I'd write. Right, Amanda? Oh, totally <laughs> She's nodding, everyone. She agrees. <laughs> So the description is clearly written to excite fans of the Harry Potter series. What do the two of you think it is about the music of the Harry Potter films that brings the Wizarding World to life for fans? Well, I mean, the music is amazing, and it just is evocative of uh, the moments in the film. So when I I went to the first show on the 7th, and um, I just got so many, like, uh, like, shivers and like mm-hmm. tingles uh, up my spine because you can just picture it just works so well with what's happening on the screen mm-hmm. um, and there's so much joy in it mm-hmm. um, so many of the songs like the, uh, they do play the night bus so it's very exciting and um, a lot of the emotional pieces as well so it's just very evocative and it just uh, fits so well with the storytelling that I think mm-hmm. Everybody really loves it. And you could tell, like, when it started, everyone gets that moment when they start out with the music. So, yeah. Uh, I was going to add that in my, my brain sort of works in a marketing sort of perspective. And I think not only is the music fantastic, but it's so wrapped up in this fantastic bow of you get to dress up. Like, the movies and um, the books, like, they're, they're not only fantastic to read and watch, but people want to participate in dressing up. There's characters that you can identify with. There's houses that you can choose. It just is a perfect sort of package to put together to present in this way because people, there are communities of people who identify with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what really works well. Another great thing about the concert is, um, especially in the lobby, uh, people came in wearing their house colors and that kind of stuff. So I had conversations with people just because they noticed I was wearing my Ravenclaw shirt. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a family. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. like fun to identify. And I have people come up and be like, Ravenclaw, I'm also in Ravenclaw. And you're immediately like bonded, of course, right? Because yeah. it's your house. So yeah, Exactly. <laughs> And so as you, as you both mentioned, the show is sold out. And this you've had, there will be a total, by, by the end of Saturday, a total of four, four shows. And they've all sold out. 
We added, we were just going to do two. We yeah. just had two planned, uh, and then we had a, an insane amount of demand for, for more shows, so we had to figure out, and we have a jam-packed, we're at the tail end of our season, jam-packed month, the amount of work that goes into planning a large event, which will house like 20,000 mm-hmm. people, is a huge undertaking. And uh, so to plan two more shows uh, and have the wonderful symphony uh, rehearse uh, once again, is um, it's, it's been a busy month. So we are happy to find the space. So it just worked out perfectly this Friday and Saturday, the 23rd and 24th. Um, yes, again, sold out completely. I mean, we would have added more if we could, so who knows down the line. We'll, uh, we'll see about getting more Harry Potter shows in the mix. So then is this sort of unusual for a show to be so popular that you have to... It's so popular that you had to squeeze in two more shows? Is this is something special about Harry Potter? It's not. We should have known, actually. It's not, because I'm like, <laughs> Harry Potter, everyone loves it. I don't know. Um, we do Star Wars, and those sell out. A lot of our specials, is what we call them around here, mm-hmm. uh, will sell out, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they sold out so quickly is probably what it was. Like, I think the first two shows sold out in a matter of days without any sort of publicity yeah. or any sort of marketing on social media. Just We just sort of announced we're doing Harry Potter, and then right away we were like, oh, <laughs> the first one sold out in, in a matter of hours. Okay. I'm laughing because I don't know if you remember, Constantine. When they announced it, we got the email. And you were walking by, and I read it, and I screamed, and I think I frightened you. <laughs> and I had to go find you and be like, sorry. So I just read we're having Harry Potter concerts, and yeah. So even the staff enthusiasm. Yeah. I think it was like a group effort. Amrit also screamed, probably Michelle. It was a whole deal. That's so sold out because all of the staff invited their family <laughs> and bought all the tickets, and that's where we had had more shows. Yeah, June 7th and 8th was just staff, and then we're like, well, I may need two like, more shows. Yeah, exactly. How, how do the performers feel about it? Do you know if there's a similar kind of enthusiasm among the among the orchestra? Well, there's 56 um, members of the ESO, and they're all they all have varied tastes in music. I'm there. I don't know if you've seen any pictures that were posted from the first two concerts, but I was unaware that they were going to dress up, and a lot of them were dressed up in, in amazing costumes. Yeah. But I'm not sure how the... um, They're also very... I remember when um, we did a David Bowie sort of Mm -hmm. tribute before my time here, I think there were some members that were very unfamiliar with any sort of David Bowie music. So Mm -hmm. they're they're sort of learning, you know, as they go along with rehearsals to go, oh, okay, I know this song as well, you know? But I'm I'm not sure. I can't speak about Harry Potter, but um, they're also varied in ages as well that Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of them have grown up with the films and read the books and... I know we were very excited uh, when we <laughs> it started, and uh, you know some of the musicians were wearing their house colors, and we're like, oh, we didn't know they were a Slytherin. Did you know he was a Slytherin? <laughs> so we had like all that chat after the concert. So I think there's like some deafening, and I know among me, like I, um, I see Brian in the hall, and I'm like, so the night bus, right? So I feel like my enthusiasm, I can't even tell other people's enthusiasm because <laughs> I'm just like, let's talk about this all the time. So. <laughs> Can you give me a sense of the audience members? Did you have? Did you get a sense of how many of them were very visibly fans, and how many of them are there because they have, say, season tickets? Or is this the kind of thing that you would have season tickets? No, it's a maybe it's a special, so yeah. you would have to get yeah, tickets for. To buy tickets, okay, yeah. so yeah, does it look like it's predominantly fans when you see the the shows happening? 
Um, I know from talking to my coworkers that um, some people just, you know, heard about it and thought it sounded fun or interested in mo movie music, but there is a lot of fans. We had a lot of people dressing up, and um, the best is when you get, like, the two worlds meet. So I talked to a music teacher um, who also is a huge Harry Potter fan, um, and there's, I don't even remember the name of the drum, but she said there's a specific drum on stage. She thought they were going to play Buckbeat's Flight. And she was very disappointed because this was at intermission. And I said, they're going to play it after the break. so excited so I was like this is great because she's like a huge music fan and knows the music and also loves Harry Potter so I think yeah it was a, a good mix of people who just love music and people who love music and Harry Potter so um, it was a really fun turnout and such joy you could like feel it in the audience before it started for the show. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to add as far as, again, a marketing perspective, the hard part about the people that show up, we have such a wide and varied um, group of people that I almost sometimes wish it wasn't as wide and varied because it'd be easier to figure out a demographic and market that way. Yeah. But it's everyone and anyone, which as far as anyone listening who's into marketing makes it a lot harder because you're like, okay, I'm dealing with so many different types of people. Mm -hmm. How do you segment out anyone to sort of figure out what they like and, 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 and figure it out from there? But um, I was running into uh, the first two shows, a lot of people who actually, not a lot, I, I'm embellishing as I speak, but I, I ran into a couple people that loved the music. Mm -hmm. didn't, not that they didn't care uh, enough about the films, but they really came to enjoy the music and, and, and weren't really into yeah. the film or, or the books. They just enjoyed the, the music that much. That's really interesting to me because I remember when um, when the uh, the trailer for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them came out, I was so thrilled by the by the music and how they had taken the Harry Potter theme and transformed it into this new theme. I didn't super love the movie. I loved parts of it, but I really loved the music. And now I'm sort of I'm having this moment where I realize I'm not alone. It's okay, and these kinds of events allow you to sort of separate out parts of the Harry Potter world that you love, like the music, from the things that maybe are distracting, like a weak plot or an, an unconvincing script. <laughs> I feel the same Johnny Depp all of a sudden or, showing up when you yeah. were happy with Colin Farrell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> That must be one of the uh, one of the exciting things about um, doing movie scores, right? Is or maybe putting together. Maybe this is just a, a conversation for film film scholars, where all the disparate parts that put a movie together. When you have a really strong score, you can kind of hold your audience together when the when the plot itself yeah. is not doing it for you. <laughs> I hope I'm not offending our uh, our Fantastic Beasts uh, well, it's fans. Amazing how music transforms any scene you, you know like it's it's interesting to sort of watch I've certainly worked in production and to see a scene sort of play out with actors and then you add the music in and then you suddenly like it yeah. adds so much depth to what's what's happening yeah. you know it guides completely movies our lives I mean a lot of times I always um 
tell people like the saddest part about not being in a movie or anything is like you don't have that sort of soundtrack above sometimes when you're chatting with people to really sort of move whatever you're trying to say along. You're like, life isn't as fun sometimes without a soundtrack behind you, you know? I totally agree. I was actually going to say it's interesting how how the um, certain very popular movies, the music's like in you Mm -hmm. and you just automatically recognize it. So I've been in the theater um, seeing trailers for episode nine star Wars, or episode eight oh my goodness it's it's a thursday morning anyways the new one yeah uh the last jedi and uh the first two notes will play and there's like nothing on the screen and you will hear people like <gasps> <gasps> and they know automatically yeah. it's star wars and i'm like that's so exciting and same with harry potter you hear like the first two notes and you're like harry potter and that happened with the Fantastic Beast trailer. So it's yeah. funny how it's just everybody, every fan knows it, and yeah. it's just you instantly recognize it. So we already we already talked about this a little bit, um, and maybe I'll sort of shuffle the order of the, our conversation, but maybe not. We'll see. Would you describe yourselves as Harry Potter fans? This is why I have the amazing Amanda Brace here today. I would describe myself as a Harry Potter fan, but then I meet people like Amanda, and I think, oh, I'm not a Harry Potter fan. I don't, really don't know anything about those films other than I enjoy them. Um, so I would say if there, there should be a, a scale, like a Kinsey scale of like Harry Potter <laughs> fandom. And I probably about, I'm not even in the middle. I'm about a four if it's zero to six. You know, six being um, like Harry Potter. I know the ins and outs of everything. <laughs> So I'm like the opposite because I'm a very big Harry Potter fan. Actually, I'm planning my vacation for next year. Mm-hmm. And um, I was talking to my mom. She's like, where's the one place you really want to go? And I just went, Harry Potter land. <laughs> so I'm going to Harry Potter land next year. <laughs> I've always wanted to go. Um, I mean, I went to the exhibit at TELUS. I'm so excited about these. I mean, I do have Harry Potter stuff around my house. I have like Harry Potter bookends, snitch necklace, t-shirts. I have a head wig. I didn't realize how much I had until I really took stock when we were doing this concert. Um, I even have a wand. So uh, a huge fan. I mean, I saw the first movie uh, when it came out and I hadn't read the books yet and I was instantly just like in love Mm -hmm. and read uh, the four that were already out and then we went to the midnight releases and um, I mean, at one point we were super excited because my friend's mom worked at a store that got the books in and so we got all the boxes that they came in and it was like Goblet of Fire and it was like, don't open and it was special Harry Potter boxes and we used them to pack for university and we were like this is amazing so that's how intensely harry potter fans here and we were just so proud when we like leave the car on the way and just be like look at those amazing harry potter boxes so yeah we're super 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 into harry potter (laughs) that's so beautiful i have i just had this i had this swell of emotion imagining packing for university in harry potter boxes there's just something about that that oh my god it's everything (laughs) It just made the move that much more magical, dare I say. (laughs) It's incredible. What would you say is your favorite score or theme that is performed in the Harry Potter show? The the title, Harry Potter Music, when it comes on, just those simple notes, Mm -hmm. that's what I love and that's my favorite because I know what I'm getting into and I get the joy that you experience. I'm like, that's when I realize, oh, I am a Harry Potter fan because that music makes me really 
excited and happy. Just the simple, simple, simple notes. And then I, can, I think the excitement comes from even being in the theater watching the films. You can feel the energy from everyone else get excited as well. And that's what's sort of moving me to get excited. so hard to choose because every time a song came on I was like oh my god this song I love it so much um, <laughs> every time so I'd have to say Buckbeat's Flight is great The Night Bus I've never seen that done live it's amazing it's so fun and the Quidditch World Cup music the emotional pieces as well but it's like it's everything is wonderful <laughs> so. it's everything literally <laughs> it's a the way that I the way that I hear the two of you talking about um, how the music makes you feel as fans and this idea of a sort of Harry Potter fandom Kinsey scale um, it it sounds almost like the music has this sort of democratizing effect where when you hear it come on all of a sudden it doesn't matter that maybe you don't have all the Harry Potter stuff but you like the way that you feel you realize oh yeah it like legitimizes and validates yourself as a fan that the music makes you feel so good that you recognize that oh yes I am a fan my love of this is real <laughs> it's real and it's valid <laughs> and other people share it and other people share it exactly that's great I'm so excited <laughs> My favorite book is still Prisoner of Azkaban, mm-hmm. and my favorite movie would be Half-Blood. Okay. And I mean, I will think about this for the rest of the day and be <laughs> tortured about it, because they're so wonderful, but yeah. I have such a great place in my heart for Prisoner of Azkaban, and I'm yeah. a huge, serious black fan. And I will admit that at the end of book five, I cried harder than I cried for Dumbledore. <laughs> I was oh, just like... Sweet. Yeah. I was devastated. He finally would have a home and and like a father figure, and then he dies. I just I just remember being like, I just cried so hard. It was just devastating. Yeah. <laughs> Constantine. This is where I wish there's certain moments where this, if there was a visual, um, and people could see me, they're like, oh, he has no idea what he's going to say next. <laughs> this is me trying to remember all the Harry Potter films. I really enjoyed the last two. So that's the Deathly Deathly Hallows. Deathly Hallows. Mostly because I really enjoy Voldemort. Um, and that makes sense because I'm Slytherin. Uh, and I assume he was too. Is that a thing? Yeah. 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 Okay, great. Yeah. No, he's a Hufflepuff. 
<laughs> exactly. I'm like, what? Did he have a house? Yes, he did. And I'm actually really excited that you probably know about. I'm like, is this in the works now that they're making a prequel and it's all about maybe. Voldemort and his sort of how did he become who he is? Maybe oh. as I thought is what I'm thinking it's about. There were rumblings because there was a fan movie done of it, and then there's rumblings that it might become an official movie. Yeah, that's what I sort of saw. And they're just like the official movie is going to be all about <laughs> his life, almost like I guess what they it remind me of like what they did with. Um, the Wizard of Oz musical where it's about like the witch's perspective, you know, like why did they turn out, you know, so that makes sense to me. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Did I just blow your mind? You just, you just blew my mind. Because of the podcast and the fans of Harry Potter who interact with us, because of those interactions, I often think of myself as a person who is in the know, and I had... No idea that this was in the works. So I'm very, very intrigued by this. This sounds really exciting. And I think it is a sort of personal opinion of mine that is shared by some people and not everybody that fans often have a better interpretation of the of the stories than J.K. Rowling kind of does. Because, you know, when you're an author, you feel very precious about your things and you have an idea and anything that deviates from that idea is 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 sacrilegious. But but fans are able to kind of put pieces together in ways that are more thoughtful and have a and have a clearer vision than than the author sometimes does. And so I'm really excited to even hear that there's a fan a fan film about how Voldemort came to be who he is. So that is I'm going to look that up. Right? Who I'm hurt very him? Ex- who hurt him? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like I always love the parts. I think it's in Half Blood Prince because, like you said, they all meld into one, right. um, where we get to know Tom Riddle's backstory mm-hmm. and how he like visited that old lady and yeah. got the Horcrux. And I just like I'm just so interested in young Tom Riddle and all mm-hmm. the things he gets up to and how he used his charms and he's actually handsome before he turned into Snake Face. Yeah. Is he the one who got the hot body now and is on the cover of magazines? Who's no, that? No, no, that's that's Matthew Oh, Boy. that's Neville. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Ray Fiennes who plays Voldemort. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, yes. Not Voldemort, but and he's like, so yeah. good, right? Ray Fiennes. Oh, Ray Fiennes oh is such an incredible actor that I yeah. can never imagine anybody playing Voldemort who isn't him. Agreed. I think that he almost did. I think you're supposed to walk away from these films and not like Voldemort. Yeah. Like, you clearly should be like, this is the path I should take mm-hmm. and not be like this person. But he does such a fantastic job. You're like, I just want to be Voldemort when I grow up. Which <laughs> <laughs> is wrong. <laughs> Kids out there, it's wrong. Now I'm just thinking about how they cast uh, Ray Fine's nephew to play young Tom Riddle in uh, which one? Desley Hallows, I think it was. So when you see that was his nephew. That was his nephew. I remember reading this oh from the. My it's God. like a yeah, and so that's why he like kind of looks like him. I'm pretty sure it was nephew. It's related to him somehow. That's incredible. But yeah, I'm learning so much. Okay, what's a what's a good sort of closing kind of wrap up sort of question? I don't know. Do either of you have any any burning things that are still any so inspiring? Yeah, I'm so interested because you're a fan and I'm enjoying this conversation. But you mentioned how you like the camping and it's kind of mundane, but you love it. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about their Christmas. 
Oh, yeah. Like, every time Christmas comes, I'm like, what are they going to get? What's Mrs. Weasley going to knit? I get, like, way too into it. And it's same with even in Lord of the Rings. I love that. I love the extended edition because they get their oh. gifts in it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear this because I'm like, I'm the only person who's really into the Christmas part. Well, you two best, best, best friends. Well, <laughs> and, like, what is the point of watching the not extended version of Lord of the Rings? Like, it's already 12 hours long if you're going to watch all three, so you might as well make it, like, a weekend affair and watch <laughs> watch the four-hour versions of each one with all the drinking songs the and presents. The, the presents and the <laughs> hobbit stomping. Oh, my That's God. The Lemba spread, I know, I know. The, all the goofs and the gags are, are taken out of the short ones. It's they're they're superior. We for obviously sure. need a Lord of the Rings show to happen as well. Oh then, God. right? Yes. Yeah. I just putting it out there. We should make it happen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, please. I will be there. We did play a few. Uh, I think it was like one or two pieces in one of the pops we had. Yeah. And oh, it was amazing. So yeah, let's let's put it out into the universe. Right. Let's make it happen. Thank you both so much. This has been a real absolute pleasure. I enjoyed this so thoroughly. (laughs) I was already really excited about coming to the show, but now (laughs) my excitement is a whole, it's just in a whole other plane. It's just become transcendental. I'm so happy that we could fit in uh, Amanda into our speech. Just anyone listening, it was going to be a really boring conversation with just (laughs) me who doesn't know anything so amanda thank you yeah thank you amanda thank you. i was so psyched i actually sent her an email i'm like is this still happening <laughs> i want to get in on this this is so exciting so thank you for having me you're so welcome Why don't you start by introducing yourself? Who are you? Well, hello. I'm Stephen Shear. I've known Marcel for many, many years. Many. And uh, I'm a student of music. Mm-hmm. I, a master. I'm a, I'm a master of music. <laughs> That's right. Yes. And a longtime fan of the podcast. Get out of here. First time attendee. <laughs> <laughs> So I asked Steve to join me to see the music of Harry Potter this evening because I couldn't think of a single other person who would enjoy seeing the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra play the music of Harry Potter quite as much as I thought that Steve would. Steve, do you think that that's true? I am the only person who would enjoy it as much as me, as I just enjoyed it. (laughs) No one is going to enjoy it more. Amazing. But yes... We've been to symphony events together, mm-hmm. and we are both enormous fans of the of the franchise. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the first question that I that I want to ask you um, came to me while we were watching the performance, and I thought this is a question that I should ask Steve. Tell me how it made you feel. Well, I I think similar to you, I was full of a lot of a lot of joy and emotion in the first half. I anticipated getting goosebumps when I when I heard the opening swelling strings that come in come before the main theme is stated by by you know by the string section with the full orchestra. What I forgot was that it's played on on that Celeste mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Um, just that that single you know kind of 
chimey bell uh, introduction, can, and can it. You, can you do it? Well, no, I can't because it's it's um, polyphonic. I mean, I, I could do it with the with the instrument, but not with my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> Great. Great. So that was that was a pleasant surprise that just I think I had the same reaction as a lot of people uh, in the crowd around us which was oh <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah I know I know when when we were leaving I I said this already to Steve but I'll repeat it again for the podcast I had this I had this feeling where all of these people around us during that first like bum 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 and all these people around us went <gasps> and I <laughs> I I simultaneously burst into tears. <laughs> yeah. And thought, well, what else did you think they were going to open with? <laughs> but the tears went because I just like, I just, I was overcome with emotion, not just for the music, but also being in this enormous room full of people who are also overcome with emotion. It was such a, it was such a remarkably unique experience. I'm sure that I'm sure that people feel that way when they see like I don't know when they hear like Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata played in a concert hall for the first time with a whole bunch of other people who also love that love that piece but um that's probably the closest I'm ever going to I'm ever going to feel to real music. <laughs> yes. And I I mean I think definitely being together in a in a, in a community of music appreciators, it has that effect. You know, if you've if you've heard a, a beloved piece of music on a record, nothing compares to hearing it live. But I do think also that there's an added level of emotion when it's associated with such a beloved story. Mm-hmm. Too film music is is so moving, and even you know myself, I'm a fan of all kinds of music, but like something about film music, just like reaches a whole new level of emotional impact Mm -hmm. and i definitely felt that tonight for sure is that because it's written for the purpose of for lack of a for lack of a gentler term emotional manipulation like like the music is designed to make you feel a way when you're watching a movie and so it makes sense then that it would still succeed in making you feel that way even without the the pictures two things come to mind. I, I think that the style of music is so romantic mm-hmm. and it follows the late romantic style. And I've, and I've heard this said before, and uh, it's basically most of 20, I'm going to call this 20th century and 21st century orchestral film music really harkens back to the music of Wagner. And it's, and it's really heavily influenced by Wagner's operas and it's just the the style of music is it's you know at times saccharine at times really really intense you know like the way he uses the 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 brass you know it covers the whole gamut of uh of of emotion from romance and 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 really sweet sounds to military and, and 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 rage and everything everything's in there and and John Williams, who wrote the music for the first three first three movies, is obviously heavily influenced. Mm-hmm. 
along the same lines, you have themes that are directly associated with certain characters. So as soon as you hear that, or certain characters, certain moments of the film, so as soon as you hear that, you know, that's where your mind goes, is is you're thinking about those characters, you're thinking about those moments. So it's not just it's not just the music on its own, but it's because it's it's directly associated with uh, character and, and place. When we were sort of debriefing in the car afterwards, you were saying that John Williams has a very specific style and that you can recognize, for lack of uh, an appropriate term, because I'm not a master of music, like signatures from... No, that's not it. You well, can, like, like, you like can recognize sounds. Sound. Yeah. Like he has a signature sound that's, you know... Well, I think the, the way you put it is like, you know when you're hearing a certain, you know, when you turn your radio on, you hear a, a rock song playing and you know that it's a certain band. Right. Like ACDC right. sounds like ACDC. Mm-hmm. Um, Nickelback sounds like Nickelback, <laughs> uh, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, another band that is trying to sound like them clearly is just trying to sound like them. Right. John Williams has a certain sound and a certain quality. And there were moments... Uh, tonight, and I've I've noticed this before, is like when you hear a John Williams score, not only does he have sort of a signature sound, but oftentimes I feel like he uses the same techniques of orchestration and texture uh, to the point where it's almost like, oh, like, this sounds like it could, you know, this music from Harry Potter sounds like it could be from this other scene in E.T. or in Raiders of the Lost Ark where it was a similar um, kind of emotional setting and he and he goes back and kind of uses some of the same tricks. I don't know if those are uh, John Williams originals or if he's drawing from influence because I'm not well versed mm-hmm. enough in my Wagner mm-hmm. to know like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, he's using that string technique that mm-hmm. uh, Wagner used in Siegfried or something. You know, I don't I don't know. But my my understanding is that he's heavily, heavily Wagner influenced. <laughs> Tell me about some of the things that you noticed visually about this event that we just attended. I was really pleased to see a lot of my a lot of my friends because I work at the Department of Music at the U of A. <laughs> so a lot of the instructors who who I work with were there so I was kind of like, "Oh, hi. <laughs> hi. Uh, I wonder if they can see me." Um, were they they were in the orchestra? Yeah, in the orchestra. Whoa, you know famous musicians. Oh yeah, famous musicians. Yes. Wait, you are a famous musician. I forgot. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, because I see these people on a daily basis. So it's yeah. it's I I spoke to the concertmaster this afternoon. He's like, "Oh, are you playing tonight? I'm going to the show. Are you excited for it?" And he he it was kind of nice because he had a twinkle in his eye too. He was really excited because I'm always I always wonder whether these serious musicians are going to be kind of roll their eyes if they have to play the pops Mm -hmm. uh, rather than quote unquote serious music like, Mm -hmm. like Beethoven and Brahms. And I, and I've definitely heard some musicians who are, who play in orchestras 
who really only take, you know, music that's what's called like absolute orchestral music, which is standalone. It isn't incidental. It isn't film music. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really the only stuff that they want to be playing. Mm-hmm. But but I was looking at at all of these the people that I knew and and the other other musicians who I haven't met, and just sort of watching how much they were legitimately enjoying themselves playing mm-hmm. this music and thinking, you know, these are really challenging parts, especially watching the percussion se- uh, section. Oh, yeah. uh, very, very demanding parts in these pieces. Um, as a musician, when I watch an orchestra, I'm looking, I'm looking at that. I'm also, I'm, uh, I'm paying attention to the different uh, textures that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, how the the interplay between between the different sections and thinking about how the what kind of choices the composer made and was 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 trying to do um and like John Williams fantastic film orchestrations um should we talk should we t- should we mention the goblet one yeah yeah we might as we might as well because the the first half was so good and so emotional. And then the second half had this like big chunk in it that was sort of like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I remember you saying that the Goblet of Fire was the worst film of the series. Can we say? I think so. I'm sure it has people who love it. Mm-hmm. Um, in this concert, they featured suites of music dedicated to basically the first four films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. The, the other four films were more combined into one. Um, so in the first half, it was all John Williams. It was the first three movies in three different suites of music. And then they opened the second half with a suite uh, from Goblet of Fire, um, written by, was it Patrick, Patrick Doyle? Doyle. Yeah. And I just found, you know, especially after listening to the Williams arrangements the the arranged suites um it to be really lackluster it it lacked that connection to the story or the characters um it sounded like film music Mm. it sounded like generic film music Mm. or at moments like okay like a ball Mm -hmm. you know like a like a convocation ceremony and I, and I remember how boring the movie was, and I can't. I don't know if it was a boring movie because of the music, or if he had to write boring music because of the story. I think he had to write boring music because of the story. I mean, I don't know how they make movies exactly, but I'm guessing that the music gets composed after they have a basic story outline, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. it sounds it sounds to me like it was just a it like it was a boring director. And the boring director had a boring vision for this boring movie. Who directed that one? The same guy who did Four Weddings and a Funeral, which, like, it's not a great movie. It's don't, it's, it's not, it's fine. Hugh Grant is in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, after that boring stretch, they played what the, um, what the conductor called the Harry Potter Symphonic Suite? Yeah, and actually, I wish we had 
I don't know if you kept the program, but I didn't actually look at the program. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I I guess it was a combination of the the rest of the films. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because what felt more like, you know, if I, if I had to choose one piece of music to hear, it would have been the opening suite that they played that was from the first film mm-hmm. because it has Hedwig's theme and and all of the most famous melodies that you would think of. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there certainly were like recognizable, recognizable yeah. themes in this other, in this other suite and it was fantastic music, but it was also interesting because it was a combination of more than one composer. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting there wondering, Oh, you know, like which pieces are attributed to which composers um, who arranged this? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know who arranged any of yeah. the suites that we heard tonight. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, but yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was really quite incredible for me, having gone into this. So, folks who are listening to this podcast will have heard my initial interview with um, with Constantine and Amanda. And in that interview, I'm asking them, you know, what their favorite, what their favorite scores are, their favorite pieces are. Um, but I really went into this event not knowing, other than that first, like, bah, 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 bah. I'm so sorry for those of you who are pitch perfect. Um, I really went into this not having a particular one in mind of what was my favorite one. But then, as soon as they started playing that music that was so recognizable to me from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, I I had this sudden moment where I was like, oh my God, I do have a favorite. And it is the Weasley's Wizard Wheezes theme, which I cannot remember now, not listening to it, how it goes, but it thrilled me. It was so great. that whole just that whole um that whole section of the suite where they had uh the music from Dumbledore's I mean not his funeral exactly but when he dies and everybody has their wands in the air with the light I had this overwhelming urge to just put my invisible wand in the air in the audience and I I took a little peek around to see if anybody was holding their invisible wand in the air I didn't see anybody who was but in my heart in my heart, there were people who had their wands in the air. I didn't bring my invisible wand, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't put it in the air. But I felt it. I felt it deep within my core. Um, and then they had a soprano come out to do the um, some of the 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 parts, the themes for I guess the I don't think it's the Battle of Hogwarts. This is the, this is one of the funny things about like hearing the music is you're like I recognize it, but I can't remember where it's from. <laughs> Exactly. Which part? I was saying. I was saying to Steve that um, I recognize some of them, and what some of them, uh, what some of those pieces of music are for, because they feature in the Harry Potter, the Harry Potter Lego 
um, video games. And so like, is the shenanigans of Hogwarts theme <laughs> based on the Harry Potter Lego videos. Anyway, I have no idea how we got here. Uh, I had I had three glasses of wine <laughs> at the, <laughs> at the yeah, symphony. How did we get home? Steve Steve was a designated driver. He drove very safely. Um, let's talk about the costumes because there were costumes. Oh yeah, there were costumes on stage. Uh, the principal cellist had a lovely uh, lightning bolt on his head that he may have unfortunately smudged at one point I hope he's okay <laughs> I saw him at the end of the first half he was scratching his forehead and then I made a joke to Steve that it looked more like he just left an Ash Wednesday service um, mm-hmm. and so that was, that was very funny uh, who what? else so so he was Harry oh yeah he was Harry yeah they were that was the cool thing there were designated character mm-hmm. uh, cosplays going on there was a violist dressed as Professor Snape. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a cellist dressed as Professor Trelawney. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a, I don't know if it was McGonagall in the violin section, I think, with a hat. Yeah, I was wondering that because I was looking around to see, we had really great seats, but but we didn't have the kind of seats that provide you with like a, an, like a, a deep overview of the, of the orchestra. Um, and yeah, so there was... There was a, a violinist wearing a witch's hat and a, and a cape. And then there were a handful of people sort of at the, at the very back who had Hogwarts robes on, which was, which was very cool. Favorite moments. Favorite moments. Yeah, there was a wonderful children's choir that sang um, Something Wicked This Way Comes. So that was a really mm-hmm. special... And I think, like, as... You know, people with children in our lives and people who like kids. I don't know. I don't know if I always would have reacted this way, but I was like, I have a lovely niece and nephew, and uh, I just thought, oh man. I mean that that brought that brought tears to my eyes. It's pretty. It's pretty sweet. I started as soon as they came on the stage. I started crying, and Steve handed me a napkin, and then Steve was all teary, but he didn't have a napkin because he gave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was a lovely. That was a lovely moment. Mm-hmm. And imagine what you know, like what a what a uh, cool experience for those uh, kids to mm-hmm. sing in front of a large orchestra um who knows maybe they're doing that all the time and they're just like ain't no thing maybe Uh, I wouldn't get sick of that Music for the that was featured in the Prisoner of Azkaban, mm-hmm. uh, Night Bus. Oh yeah! The Night Bus music was really great mm-hmm. um, because it, it kind of incorporates uh, some some like hard bop and, and jazz uh, rhythms. So it's kind of Leonard Bernsteiny almost that orchestral kind of jazz mm-hmm. sound. <laughs> Thank you. 
way more chaotic than anything in like West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really fun. It had this. Um, I kept laughing out loud. I literally lolled because it had this like. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great auxiliary percussion, sort of those. Wow, what do you call it? Slide whistles. Yeah. And, but that wasn't a slide whistle. I don't know what you call that thing because you just blow into it, and the volume and the pitch rise and then fall on their own, and then just basic, Mm -hmm. basic like gym teacher whistles. (laughs) (laughs) All kinds of great stuff. It it was amazing because it felt like something you would never see in a symphony orchestra like i and i don't know if that's actually true or not but it just it just felt so it felt like such an intervention in the sort of i don't know the illusion that that symphonies are crusty and stuffy and boring and instead this it was this like outrageously fun piece of music that had all of these outrageously fun elements. I don't know. I, yeah. yeah, it was so wild. It was great. I would definitely say, you know, that those kind of elements are rare, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the programming that you, you would usually see at an orchestra, um, which, you know, tend to focus on the classical era and the romantic era. Uh, until you get into 20th century music, uh, that's more when you you would see uh, those kinds of noisemakers and, mm-hmm. and, and elements like that, you know, especially in a piece that is sort of doing mimesis. You know, it's supposed to be a frantic car ride, right? You do see some of that in, in a lot of, like, 20th century music, but not so much in, in normal orchestral programming, I think. Mm-hmm. As a professional music person, which you are, what would you say are some of the um, more remarkable things about the music of Harry Potter, having just seen it live, performed by the world-class Edmonton Symphony Orchestra? That's a excellent question and it's not an easy one for me to answer uh because like i was saying before john williams has a signature sound Mm -hmm. i think it informed the composers that followed because you know there had to be some measure of continuity in the Mm -hmm. series Mm -hmm. uh, and they took some of the same melodic themes and developed it throughout so i feel like like i did not expect to go and hear an entire evening of Harry Potter music because oftentimes when you go to a concert like this there will be a featured piece they'll play the suite and then they'll throw in some other pieces by other composers Mm. to round out the evening's program but it became pretty clear halfway through the first half of the concert that the entire evening was going to be totally dedicated to the film music from Harry Potter and uh and I guess it struck me how much depth there was even though coming in, I was thinking, okay, I know Hedwig's theme. Um, I, I I could hum the phrase of maybe half a dozen other other parts. How long could that this possibly entertain me? But not only do those do those main themes get developed in all kinds of 
fascinating ways and by different composers in their own unique ways. But also, there's so much depth in the the, the less known incidental music, mm-hmm. uh, but but it's still so engaging. Mm-hmm. It's just so well written and engaging, mm-hmm. right? Overall, though, fantastic. It's it's those main themes, those fantastic melodies that that we are familiar with and that we love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think any time you go to the to hear live orchestral music and it's something that you're uh, have a familiarity with, mm-hmm. um, you can really sink into and enjoy the music. That was a great answer. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Thank, thanks for debriefing with me. <laughs> yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for, for bringing me along <laughs> you're, with you. You're welcome. There were comp tickets. We had a great time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did. <laughs> All right. Uh, here we go. Take it away, past Marcel. I don't really know how to uh, do an outro. We've done this several times, and I still find it strange and confusing because we are pretending to have just listened to the audio that we obviously haven't listened to. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> I love it. Um, let's jump straight into the the the... The Tri-Witches Tournament! Woo! The challenge for the past fortnight was boring self-care. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of really wonderful responses to this. You were all doing a super great job of taking care of yourselves in boring ways. The best job. I want to highlight uh, two people's um, entries as per usual. Mm-hmm. One because it was accompanied by a photograph that delighted me, and the other because it was an entire fantastic thread of boring self care. Um, so the first is a tweet from uh, Casey Stepaniak, aka Can Lesbrarian, um, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote living my best life and also participating in this fortnight's Triwitches Challenge and also celebrating finishing my MLIS degree. Congratulations, Casey. The reason why I selected this one in particular is because it is accompanied by a picture that is just like deeply, deeply in my wheelhouse. So the picture includes um, Casey in this picture is uh, at... Cartem's Donuts, which is this incredible local artisanal donut place in Vancouver um, that has amazing vegan donuts. Um, And that is a picture of a delicious vegan donut Mm. um, that I really want to reach through and eat. Mm -hmm. And also beside it is a copy of N.K. Jemisin's newest book, The Stone Sky. If any of you are have not already read N.K. Jemisin and are interested in more amazing um, radical fantasy to put in your life some more maybe some more fantasy novels that help you develop models for fighting white supremacy um, much like uh, Harry Potter does N.K. Jemison's books are absolutely incredible um, N.K. Jemison is a 
fantastic black feminist fantasy author whose books always foreground women of color and engage with themes of uh, slavery and imperialism and power and gender. There's really fascinating gender play in them. Um, They're just like, they're such smart books. They do all kinds of things with fantasy that um, we've critiqued things like Game of Thrones for failing to do, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. like imagining different ways of the world for the world to be and not assuming that like the oppressive status quo of our world would be reenacted in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I love this picture a lot because I want to eat that donut and read that book. Uh, <laughs> you were saying there is another congratulations we need to shout out. Yeah. Um, while we are, sh- while we are shouting out uh, our beloveds for um, crushing their, their academic work and getting those degrees, one of the original members of our coven Lindsay Burgon also finished up her graduate degree. So Mazel Tov, Lindsay. Yay! The second person we're going to shout out is uh, Danny Beckett, a.k.a. P. Green Boat, who tweeted an entire thread of um, boring self-care nice. that I'm going to read out very quickly um, because I love it as a list. So it begins, I had a lion. I checked in with a friend. I updated my to-do list and wrote a shopping list. I told Beardy I love him. I don't know what Beardy is. Um, a human, a dog, who cares? Uh, I told Ben I got home safe last night. I watched an episode of Angel. I saved someone from watching Iron Fist. <laughs> I did some cat research. The most important research. I called home and spoke to both of the Becketts. I updated some important things in my calendar. I listened to a podcast. I got rid of loads of tabs on my computer. I pinned some recipes. I made plans for tomorrow. I took off last night's makeup. I (laughs) I checked my boobs because Alice Mae Perkis always reminds me. Now I feel 1% less anxious and friends with my body. Hmm. I got dressed to leave the house. I watered the plants. I emptied the out-of-date food from the fridge. I took my pill. And it continues. It's amazing. It just keeps going. Um, And it's just all of these like... Just these little actions that when you think about all of the things that you are doing every day, you know, I did an extra load of laundry. I packed up a meal for somebody. I did the dishes. Like when you actually sort of break down your day into all these little things, Mm -hmm. you realize that like you're doing a whole number of really important things every day um, that it's really easy to take for granted. Um, And it was really nice to see them sort of all itemized out like that as a list of like, many things we do even on the most boring seeming days Mm -hmm. we're doing so many good things yeah 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 good job danny and good job everybody for just keeping on just keep on keeping on keep on keeping on well this sounds like a good opportunity to give people a new challenge Mm -hmm. it sure is what do you think hannah what should we do this fortnight So our challenge for this fortnight is a little bit inspired by a couple of different things, including the um, the make it awkward meme, um, uh, which is calls upon people to um, when you hear somebody say something that is a kind of uh, racist or sexist or ableist um, or homophobic, etc., 
microaggression to rather than doing the thing that I think many of us are socialized to do, which is to let things slide, lest it become an awkward interaction, to instead pause and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and make this awkward and intervene. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I will give you an example, which is that um, uh, the other night I was um, out at a... Uh, out at a regular weekly event. I'm not, I'm not going to name it. Uh, I'm just going to say I was out at a regular weekly event that I go to. And somebody there noticed a pin that I have on my bag that said, I am a big bag of blood. And said, it's the only pin on my bag that's not overtly gay. So it is the one that they chose to talk about. Um, and uh, they said, oh, do you donate blood? And I said, I actually don't. Um, in part because I frequently have tattoos that are too recent, but also uh, because Canada's blood donor laws are explicitly homophobic. Mm -hmm. And I have made the choice not to donate blood until Canada lifts its explicitly homophobic blood donation laws. And that made this person very uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, And so I was thinking, I was chatting yesterday with my friend Jamie about how it takes a lot of energy to always intervene in those things to mm-hmm. sort of take the way that people are are making these assumptions about the world and to be like no actually you're wrong mm-hmm. um and a lot of the time we let things slide and that's fine sometimes right like sometimes just in order to be in the world you just have to let things slide mm-hmm. you can't confront people about every goddamn thing uh but our challenge for this fortnight is to not let something slide mm-hmm. and that might be a microaggression that's directed towards you. So this might be an opportunity to stand up for yourself in a way that you don't normally. Um, we encourage you to only do that in contexts in which it will be safe. Please do not put yourself at risk. No, never do that. Never, ever, ever do that. But if it's an opportunity, you know, to sort of take somebody misreading you in some way or somebody saying some shitty thing that you would normally let slide and you want to use this as a chance to stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, an example that I heard on a recent episode of another round was um, if somebody says, you know, a shitty microaggression to you to pause, look at them and say, um, wow, you must be really embarrassed that you just said that, mm-hmm. which I thought was incredible. Yeah, um, I like that. That's but really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. But this is also your chance to, um, you know, talk back to your racist uncle. Mm hmm. Yeah, so this this might take different forms. It might take the form of of standing up for yourself. It might take the form of standing up to somebody else mm-hmm. um, or on behalf of somebody else um, or even just sort of uh, refusing to go along with a joke or to smile through somebody saying something shitty to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, whatever form that takes, uh, please tweet at us mm-hmm. about it uh, using the hashtag try witches t-r-y witches let's do this uh question answer situation take it away todd which please which please make it make sense to me because a muggle in me just wants to know which please which please make it make sense to me because a muggle in me just wants to know. This week's Which Please Tell Me question comes from 
Wow, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Emily. How would you pronounce that, Hannah? I would pronounce it Auerbach. Auerbach? Emily Auerbach, a.k.a. Auerbach Emily. <laughs> this is one of those situations where the Twitter handle doesn't save me from trying to figure out how to pronounce somebody's <laughs> name. <laughs> Emily wants to know, why wasn't Percy Weasley sorted into Slytherin? Hmm. I like this question because I like thinking about sorting mm-hmm. and the logic behind sorting, um, which I think is a much more flawed system than um, it is often presented as. Mm-hmm. Or I think in the books, it's a more flawed system than it has become in the fandom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because in the fandom, it's this really awesome fun way that people sort of think about identity and think about um you know understanding themselves and thinking about what's valuable to them and and valuing different parts of our identities Mm -hmm. right like there's this really great way that in the fandom saying that you're a slytherin or a hufflepuff becomes a way of saying like the things that i love and value about myself are maybe characteristics that are not typically associated with heroism but like I think they're great Mm -hmm. and I really love that. But I think in the books, sorting is much more frequently about where you come from Mm -hmm. than it is about who you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think Weasleys get put in Gryffindor. Yeah. And didn't, was it, where was it? Was it us or was it somebody else who was talking about the idea that um, everybody in Gryffindor chooses to be in Gryffindor who was that Mm. was that you or was that somebody no somebody else because I don't remember saying that okay I mean with my memory it could have been me five minutes ago who knows who knows um but I remember that being a really insightful um insightful way to look at Gryffindor that Mm -hmm. um yeah like Gryffindor is predominantly made up of people who want to be in Gryffindor and I can definitely see Percy Weasley like choosing to be in Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like Gryffindor and Slytherin. I feel like we've talked about this before. They're like the same. They're the exact same in so many ways. These two. I understand yeah, that they have they're, very they're... different characteristics, but you're right. I think Gryffindor and Slytherin in particular are legacy houses mm-hmm. more than anything else. You know, you have, you have exceptions, obviously like Hermione mm-hmm. um, who really it seems like wouldn't necessarily have a horse in that race in the sense of like wanting, you know, who's yeah. Mm -hmm. Like thinking of herself already strongly as a Gryffindor. Mm -hmm. Um, But Harry and Ron and the Weasleys in general um, all have this sense that like, we are Gryffindors. Mm. That's just the kind of people we are in exactly the same way that, the Malfoys are always Slytherins, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like, cause we're the right kind of people. Um, yeah. and that doesn't seem to be quite, if, I don't know if it's the same with Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. It might, it may very well be. And we just don't see it because we don't get mm-hmm. an inside perspective on those characters. But yeah, the book, the, my impression from the books is that houses are more about legacy mm-hmm. than they are about identity, which is why so many kids end up, not fitting into their houses very well. Mm-hmm. I think Percy Percy does make sense to me as a Gryffindor in that I think it takes a lot of bravery 
to turn, I don't want to say turn on your family. That is not what I mean. I think we can all agree the most heroic gesture is betrayal of your parents. Um, but I would, I think, I think what I want to do, I want to like refigure Percy's choices, not in terms mm. of selfish ambition, um, but instead as a kind of like, he has a sense that he knows what's right and what's best. Percy mm. is a perfect example of a centrist. Mm. Percy is the person who does not believe that better things are possible, does not want radical change, thinks mm-hmm. that everyone can just get along if we all just try hard enough because he fails to acknowledge that on one side of that dichotomy, people would like to bring about the eradication of the other side of that dichotomy. Like, yeah. like he thinks there's a centrist position between... Voldemort and Dumbledore exactly yeah yeah which is you know clearly exactly what Fudge thinks yeah right like that's the great failing of Fudge is that he's a centrist politician and he's like oh we can compromise between um fascists and the radical anti-fascists who are trying to tear down our orderly society exactly yeah yeah and in that sense like insofar as being a Gryffindor is about having a very strong sense of what you think is right and wrong Mm -hmm. and acting heroically and unflinchingly on those values even if it means standing up to your friends and family mm-hmm. percy's doing that Definitely. Right? a lot like neville is praised for doing yeah by dumbledore like it, it's a great act of courage to stand up to your own friends mm-hmm. yeah definitely and like percy has ambitions for sure but his ambitions seem to be connected to making initially at least to like following in his parents footsteps or well his father's footsteps and like making his parents proud of him like he grew up poor mm-hmm. he wants like a really good job in the ministry he wants job security Arthur Weasley like also has a secure ministry position mm-hmm. the thing is that he uses his position in the ministry to be an ally mm-hmm. and i'm taking this straight from your episode um and part of using his position to be an ally means not having the career success. Mm-hmm. Um, and Percy's upwardly mobile aspirations are about being a political centrist, not an ally mm-hmm. so that he will get further in his career. And I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you and say, I don't think that's perfectly fine. I think that's shitty. Yeah. 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 I wonder if I am just not convinced that Percy is actually ambitious. I think maybe that's, Mm. I think maybe that's my, like, my, my qualm with him not being sorted into Gryffindor. Because it's Ron who says that Percy's always been really ambitious. Uh, Yeah, no. Okay, so it's Ron who claims that Percy is ambitious. And that's ripe coming from Ron, who it wants every single thing that Percy also wants. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we're, we're told to disdain Percy because he wants to be head boy and wants to be a, whatchamacallit prefect mm. and wants, you know, to be respected. Um, and that's exactly what Ron wants. Yeah. Like if Percy should be in Slytherin, then Ron should also be in Slytherin mm-hmm. um, because they, but like, that's also just a characteristic of like, coming from a family with a lot of siblings, Mm -hmm. wanting to set yourself apart, you know, and in general, like, 
Gryffindor's not the house of self-sacrifice and selfless heroism. <laughs> no, that's Hufflepuff. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, this has been anyway. Sorting is Complicated with Hannah and Marcel. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the question, it was a great uh, question. Emily. Um, don't forget that if you want us to uh, consider answering your questions on the podcast, you need to use the hashtag, which please tell me. Um, otherwise, we will assume that you just want them talked about on the Twitter stream mm -hmm. and will respond accordingly. Um, so don't forget about that hashtag. Yeah. Which please, which please make it make sense to me because a muggle in me just wants to know. Thanks, dear listeners, for joining us for Season 2, Episode 6 of Witch Please. The rest of our episodes are, as always, available at ohwitchplease.ca. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever platform you prefer. And don't forget to check out our merch at society6.com slash ohwitchplease or through the link on our website. Um, another thing you should consider checking out is our GoFundMe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you would like to have us record an episode in Orlando uh, at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, uh, you can go. Um, we've we've pinned the tweet that has a link to it but you can also go to gofundme.com slash send hannah marcel to hp world and there's dashes between all of those you can just google send hannah and marcel to orlando and mm -hmm. it should come up uh yeah we are um a third of the way to the goal Woo! that would make this feasible for us and uh, it would be really awesome and amazing. Yeah. So if you have a couple of dollars to kick in, please do consider doing that. Definitely. Um, and just to like, I don't know if this needs clarifying, but when we hit the goal, we'll go. And if it costs more than that, we'll make up the difference. Yeah. This is like to offset the cost. Like this yeah. will probably cover like airfare. Yeah. Um, it's just like, it won't, it probably won't cover everything. And we have, you know, we have some other people who have sort of offered to help us out um, with making this more feasible as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it is just, it's just to sort of take it from being absolutely impossible to like <laughs> something we can actually, can actually consider doing. From dreams to reality, the witch please story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Special thanks as always to Trevor Chow Fraser, our erstwhile tech support and the robot of our hearts. Hi, how are you doing? And special thanks Especially to Constantine and Amanda and Steve for being our uh, guest spurts on today's episode. Uh, I believe, unless I am incorrect, our next episode is going to be um, a discussion of Carry On mm -hmm. by Rainbow Rowell. So this is your fortnight warning. If you want to read the book and be able to um, catch up on that episode. You now have two weeks to read it. How are you doing, Marcel? I am almost halfway through it. Okay, great. <laughs> it's taken me six months to get this far. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be able to finish it in a fortnight. That's fun. But I've uh -huh. finally gotten to a point where I am enjoying reading it. So yeah, that's yeah. For any of you who are struggling, the first half is a bit dry. Yeah. Um, and as our dear friend Claire pointed out, 
it almost feels like it might be dry intentionally. Uh, so do bear with it because the second half gets sexy. Ooh. All right. So we will talk to you in two weeks. But until then. Later, later witches. Of which, please? Please? Which, please? Which, please? Which, please? Which? Which, please? Which, please? (laughs) (laughs) Which, please? I thought you were going to start singing Todd's song. Which, <laughs> which please which please make, make it make sense, sense to me, to me. <laughs> cause muggle in me just wants just to wants know, to know. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> such a good song it's a great song it's a perfect song hmm. uh... finish reading the goddamn blurb Marcel <laughs>